Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning at verse 11 on page 960 of the Pew Bibles. Chapter 11, I mean chapter 9, verse 11. <clears throat> I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. I saw, also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom, but nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honour. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offences to rest. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit, may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stone may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may, may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness, and fools multiply words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? The toil of fools wearies them. They do not know the way to town. Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry and money is the answer for everything. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom because a bird in the sky may carry your words, and a bird on the wing may report what you say. Here ends the reading.
Morning. Well, have you noticed that sometimes things that look simple usually aren't simple at all? Uh, things that look easy and straightforward are uh, sometimes far harder, more difficult and more complicated than you might have expected. Um, from the back seat of our car, driving looks really simple. Um, it's so simple that four-year-old, four our four-year-old Jonathan, he thinks he should be able to do it. Um, driving's so easy that I should be able to turn around and hold a conversation with him while doing it. Um, and it's been an absolute shock for Jonathan uh, that um, the dad has had several car accidents since he's been driving over these past years. Because how can you have an accident when it's so easy? How is that possible? Um, and his astonishment has just grown and grown as he's gone and shopped around with different people telling them that dad's had car accidents and other people have too. And he cannot believe it because driving looks so simple from the back seat. Now, as we read the Bible, we can think that that wisdom, that living well in God's world is simple too. Uh, most of Proverbs reads like, uh, act like this, be treated like that. Uh, do this, get that, give this, receive that. But in this passage in Ecclesiastes that Jeanette read for us, uh, the writer, the teacher, he's trying to communicate that wisdom doesn't always work that way. That finding wisdom and living wisely in God's world is more complicated than we might think. As we know from our time in Ecclesiastes, the writer, the teacher, the king of Jerusalem, uh, he isn't working with ideals and the way that things should be. Um, he's more like a scientist, as Tom's described him, he is sharing in this book uh, and here in this passage today uh, what he's found about wisdom through observation, through testing, through seeing the way things are in our life under the sun. I mean, this process of observation is what the writer's consistently done here in Ecclesiastes, and it's what he's done here again with wisdom. And so what does he observe about wisdom that, that we can learn from today? Well, the first observation that he shares is that wisdom doesn't bring the results that you might expect. Um, he shows us this, uh, this in the observations of, of chapter 9, verse 11. So take a look with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. This is what he says. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Now, if you or I were writing down how we expected things to work in this world or how things should work in this world, I imagine we'd say the opposite of these things. The fastest and strongest win. I didn't see anyone slow going and winning gold medals over the last couple of weeks at the Commonwealth Games. Uh, the, the wise, they're the ones that are well-fed. That's what we'd say. The smart are rich. The educated are successful. This is how things should work. This is the wise way to live. That's what we expect. And even the book of Proverbs says this kind of thing. In Proverbs chapter 24, we hear this. By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. 
The wise prevail with great, through great power, and those who have knowledge muster their strength. Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. This is how things should work. But the teacher says that in the real world, wisdom doesn't necessarily work this way. In our life under the sun, wisdom doesn't bring the results that we think it should. Well, why? Why, why doesn't it? The end of verse 11 tells us, because time and chance happen to them all. In other words, accidents happen. Misfortune happens. Bad things can happen. And they can happen at any time to anyone, regardless of how wise or foolish we are. Um, he gives this example in, in verse 12. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. And he's right. A fish doesn't expect to be caught. A fish just swimming around, going about his business, and then suddenly it happens. By, by the morning, he's on ice at Piedmont. And if the dead animals put us off, the writer gives us a vegan-friendly example of misfortune as well. In chapter 10, verse 8, the teacher says, whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. Now, I wonder, do you have a story of misfortune to add to this list? Now, misfortune is why workplace health and safety, why incident reports, accident registers, why these things exist. It's why the first aid kits around the church property had to be restocked this week. It's why there's probably a silly or sad story behind every warning sign that you see. And misfortune is why we can never be sure of our safety, our security, our stability in this life, no matter what precautions we take. And what's surprising about these observations uh, to us is that we think, often we think that accidents come through foolishness, that only silly people have accidents. But that's not what's suggested here. Misfortune can come to any of us, no matter who we are, whether we follow the instructions or not whether we read the warnings or not, whether we're wise or foolish. And while other parts of Scripture talk about some of these activities as being malicious, digging a pit for others to fall in, and then you'll fall in it yourself, no, that's not what's suggested here either. Misfortune isn't karma. There's no straight line between what we do and what happens to us in this life. And the wisdom book of Job illustrates that for us clearly and repeatedly. Here, it's just people doing their work and unforeseen events happen to them, happen to us. Already in Ecclesiastes, we've heard about some of the things that can happen to us. Poverty, oppression, injustice, corruption, loneliness, and most prominently, death. The writer has told us that any of these things can happen to any of us at any time. And he makes the same point again here. The wise don't avoid these things. Time and chance happen to us all, no matter how wise or foolish we are, because we still live in a world that we can't control. And being wise doesn't remove all risks. It doesn't take away the possibility of misfortune. Wisdom doesn't save us from these things. And so it doesn't bring us the results that we might expect. Now, this observation about wisdom could easily lead us to, well, 
give up, to stop living wisely? What's the point? If it doesn't prevent you from having accidents and misfortune, then, then why bother? And we might think that if, we, that if seeking to live well in God's world doesn't bring the results we expect, then, then it's maybe not worth it. If the results end up being the same, then why bother with wisdom? Well, what's amazing about the teacher's observation is that it actually helps us to keep living wisely. Well, how? <laughs> well, because the unexpected results of wisdom can lead us to receive and believe and live in light of God's wisdom, particularly his wisdom about Jesus. It helps us see the wisdom of God in the worst of results, in the death of his son on the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul explains this to the believers he's writing to. He says, um, chapter 1, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We can't have a simple picture of wisdom if we want to understand the cross. As God's son, Jesus lived a life of perfect wisdom in the world. And yet he willingly went through what looks like the ultimate misfortune, dying a criminal's death on the cross. And if we apply a simple view of wisdom to what happened to Jesus, he looks like a fool. But wisdom isn't that simple. And the cross is not foolishness. And Jesus is no fool. And Jesus' followers are not fools either, even when we face misfortune. Because in taking on the teacher's observation about wisdom, by understanding that wisdom doesn't bring the results that you might expect, we can see more clearly God's wisdom at work in something like the cross of Christ. And it encourages us to keep living wisely for Christ's sake, regardless of the results, regardless of the risks or rewards in this life. Now, the second observation the teacher shares with us is that wisdom isn't found where you might expect. The teacher shows us this observation in chapter 10, verse 5. Take a look with me. Chapter 10, verse 5, Ecclesiastes. This is what he says. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones. I've seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Now, what the teacher's tapping into here is the expectation that if you're looking for wisdom, if you're looking for the wise people, you're likely to find it at the top. That's what he's tapping into. You'll find wisdom among the leaders, among the rich, among the successful. Those who are solving the problems, setting the agendas, calling the shots, that's where wisdom's to be found. But the ruler that the teacher observes uh, has turned society upside down. Uh, he's describing the, the most influential person in the place, the one with the most authority, the greatest capacity for good, this ruler. But instead of making wise appointments, this is what has happened. This ruler has promoted the people who've made a mess of their lives. He's promoted the ones who've left a trail of destruction everywhere they go. 
And at the same time as these appointments are being made, you've got the people answering the calls and getting the coffee and chauffeuring the foolish around. They're the wise ones. They're the ones who've worked hard and who've had success. And the point of this picture, this observation, is that wisdom isn't found where we might expect. While we might expect to find wisdom at the top, that's not always the case. You could just as easily find wisdom at the wheel of an Uber, hidden in plain sight. Now, this might be a less surprising observation here uh, among Australians, and we might even be attracted by the kind of status reversal that the teacher describes here, um, because historically we've got a pretty low expectation of our leaders, of those in authority. We've got no trouble spotting foolishness in our leaders or our bosses or people higher up in the social or corporate ladder. And when we see foolishness higher up, we've got no, problem, um, sh- no trouble sharing what wisdom should look like, what they should be doing better. We, need, we have no trouble sharing the things that we think we, we would have done in their shoes. But even as underdog cheering Australians, I think we still want to find wisdom at the top. We know something is wrong when someone with a poor track record gets promoted. We don't think it's okay when someone without qualifications is listened to at her head of experts. And when an election rolls around, we don't knowingly choose a dummy We don't knowingly choose a walking disaster area to rule over us. We want someone who has runs on the board. We want someone who will make good decisions, who will be wise. Because we recognise the the truth of of the alternative that the teacher shares just a few verses later. And this is what he warns in verse 16, chapter 10. Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Now, just think for a minute what he's describing here. You can, you can imagine um, when leaders are making the most of the high life, when they're, when they're loading up on booze before lunch, how wise do you think they are? If they can't make dis- good decisions about when to work and when to celebrate, how's that going to go for the people they're looking after? Woe to the land they lead, says the teacher. Because if foolishness is found at the top, then it's no small matter. It impacts on everyone. It's disastrous. And for several countries in the world today, they are stuck with foolish leadership like this. Now, our leaders aren't perfect. I know that. Again, it's easy to find faults. Um, But I'm thankful that in our country, when a leader goes pear-shaped and turns out to be a fool, it doesn't stay that way for long. It's it's a kindness from God that things are set up to minimise the damage. Every three years we can choose someone else to take responsibility for our rule. And this system's in place because we recognise the reality that the teacher does. We might expect wisdom to be found at the top, but there's no certainty about that. We could just as easily find foolishness there and wisdom somewhere else that we don't expect it. So what does this observation from the teacher mean for us? Well, it means we shouldn't be shocked when our leaders are foolish. We shouldn't be surprised when our our bosses make mistakes or our bureaucrats let us down. It might still be painful for us. It might still be difficult for those uh, they have responsibility over. But the lack of wisdom in our leaders doesn't need to leave us in despair. Instead, at least it leads us to prayer to pray, asking for God to give them wisdom so they might lead for the good of those under their care. 
people like us, people like those around us. And I think this also helps us once more to see God's wisdom made known to us in Jesus. One of the great puzzles faced by those who encountered Jesus was um, seeing how regular and ordinary he was. It didn't make sense that someone with all this power and authority and wisdom could be so ordinary, could have such humble beginnings. God's promised king, but born in a manger to Mary and Joseph. Growing up not in the royal city Jerusalem, but in Nazareth, in Galilee. And not being welcomed by the religious leaders, those at the top of the tier, as their king. But being criticised and cursed and then handed over to be crucified by those leaders. But we hear about the unexpected nature of God's coming king through the prophets of the Old Testament. This wasn't a surprise. In Isaiah 53, we read this. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. That's Jesus. This reminds us that we find God's wisdom not in the halls of human power, but in unexpected places. And through the work of his spirit, God helps us to recognise who Jesus really is, despite his humble beginnings, despite his ordinary appearance. Though he was rejected by the people he came to save, though he was rejected by the rulers of his day, though he's rejected and neglected by many in high and low positions today, he is God's king. He is the creator and saviour of the world resurrected and ascended to God's right hand, returning to judge and rule God's kingdom forever. That's who he is. And it's incredible that God does this work in us, making his wisdom known to us, giving us all we need to receive and to see Jesus as king, as our king, so that we can enjoy forgiveness and all the spiritual blessings of new life under his rule. It's wonderful. Now, so far in our passage at Ecclesiastes, we've seen that wisdom isn't simple. Teachers observe that wisdom doesn't bring the results we might expect. It isn't found where we might expect. And we're going to finish by briefly looking at a third observation that he shares with us. Um, it comes in between the two we've looked at already. And in a way, it serves as an example of them both. Uh, but the new observation here is that wisdom is valuable but vulnerable. Valuable but vulnerable. Um, he shares, uh, the writer uh, shares this story with us in chapter 9, verse 13. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. Just pause there. Now, for those of us that love underdog stories, this is a great one. It's really good. Now, if you'd like to read what I think could be the the full-length version of it, you can find it in 2 Samuel 20. 2 Samuel 20. Um, Let me tell you, it's a great read, something great to read over lunch. Reminds me of something Monty Python would put together. Um, But here in Ecclesiastes, we get the short version and a punchline to this story. Uh, Like in the teacher's first observation, this small city and its people had come under unexpected 
misfortune. There's an army knocking at their door. They're about to be wiped out by this powerful king. And then, like in the teacher's second observation, we don't find a wise leader sorting things out. Instead, we hear about a poor, wise man in the city who saves the city from destruction by his wisdom. And what's the teacher's conclusion? Well, that that wisdom is valuable. In verse 16, he says, wisdom is better than strength. And in verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war. And so while wisdom might not bring the results you might expect or be found where you might expect, wisdom is still incredibly valuable, worth seeking, worth finding, worth living out. It still brings good to the life of the wise person and others, the people of this city, for example. And the area of wisdom that's highlighted particularly in these verses and the ones that follow is our speech. We hear about the quiet words of the wise, the gracious words of the wise, the timely words of the wise, and the truth that's contained in the words of the wise. And and since these instructions, these calls to wisdom, since they follow the story of the city, I think the suggestion is that this is the kind of speech the wise person who saves has been using. And they're meant to become the wise words, the way of speaking for those who've been saved for those who want to live out that same kind of wisdom. But I wonder, if someone saved your life, do you think you would remember them? Do you remember that person? Do you think you would remember what that person said? Well, I imagine that, for me, that they'd be etched in my memory. I'd take those words to heart. You'd pass them on to your children. You'd cross-stitch them and hang them on the wall. Because those are the words of the person who saved your life. Now, in the tragic epilogue of this episode, nobody in the city remembered that poor man whose wisdom saved them. And in verse 16, in what looks like no time at all, his wisdom is despised and his words are no longer heeded. It's unbelievable, isn't it? That someone could save a city one minute and then next be forgotten, despised by the people who had been saved. How much more tragic would it be for us to forget our Saviour, to have his words slip from our minds, to have his words have no bearing on our lives, never to be found in our mouths. Wouldn't that be tragic? And in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 18, chapter 10, verse 1, that tells us how this might happen. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honour. That's how it happens. Wisdom isn't simple, is it? Incredibly valuable, able to do so much good to the life of the wise person and others, but so vulnerable, so easily ruined, spoiled by the stench of sin, so easily outweighed by even a feather of folly. And when we recognise this, we need to turn to God for help. If we want to live wisely, how else are we going to do it? For those of us who trust in Jesus, we've been saved from sin and death by the wise man, God's son, our saviour. And the challenge for me, for us today, is to keep seeking God's wisdom. To see how the wisdom he's given us in Christ has changed us and is changing us. Enabling us to live wisely 
speaking true and gracious words about Jesus because of Jesus who saved us. Now, in just a moment, we're going to respond to what we've heard by by singing our, our prayer to God, asking for his help, asking him to transform us, to bring his wisdom to bear on us, to do the spiritual work in our lives that only he can do. In the first verse of our, of our song, this, is, this will be our prayer. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Let's stand and respond to what we've heard by singing together.